Good morning, Hillcrest. Good-looking crowd for a super Sunday. I'm not sure why Brad asked us to call us the chief worshiper today. I'm not sure what that's about. But we're going to talk about the Bible, and then we'll get you, get you back to your Mahomes. And, uh, I, I mean, and we got the Brady family here in the front, so it's, I mean, it's all themed out, basically. It's all themed out. God ordained all of that. Well, welcome this morning. Uh, Pastor Jim's over at our Spanish Trail campus bringing this very same message communicating the same message to the, the full body called Hillcrest. And so you get me today. Uh, we're thankful for the folks that are online with us this morning. Uh, some of you have not returned because it's not safe yet for you to return. And so we're praying for you. We pray that you're healthy. We look forward to your return. Can't wait for you to be with the body here in the room with us. If you're here for the first time with us today in the room, thank you for being here. We hope that you're blessed and encouraged by the message today. Well, we're concluding the Restart series. Today, this is the last of five messages, and you've heard from just about every conceivable preacher we got. Um, and so I'm going to try and tidy this up with the very last part of our new ministry statement that by now you have heard many times. And it is this, that Hillcrest exists to help people in becoming like Christ who worship God, connect with others, serve the world, and invest in someone. So how did we get here? Uh, ten or more years ago, we rolled out a brand new ministry statement that was completely different than, uh, than the former administration uh, had in place. And over time, you all embraced it well. In fact, most everybody in this room could quote that ministry statement, which is a great sign because you want your ministry statement to be easy to understand, simple to follow, uh, practical to implement. And while everything was moving along just fine, it, it's always a good idea to evaluate, to reevaluate, to seek God's direction, to consider the next steps, to make sure that we're properly equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. And so as we approached the 2020s, a new decade, your executive pastoral team got together and we began to consider the question, what is the most important thing we should be doing right now? What is the most important thing that we should be doing right now? And individually, we began to pray about that question. We actually wrote our answers down on a piece of paper so that you wouldn't be influenced by one of the other pastors. And we collected those pieces of paper, and almost everybody came up with the most important thing we should be doing right now is discipleship. Almost everybody. The other guy doesn't work here anymore. <laughs> and together, we moved forward to present to you a goal for 2019. And you might remember this phrase that we were to be about creating a culture of disciples making disciples. And when you go about creating a culture, you start small and you begin to have a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations. And we did that among our staff. Uh, we did that with people uh, in the congregation. We would have coffee, lunches, uh, in our offices, just one-on-one, -on -one, casting that vision and getting some feedback. What, what does that seem like to you? And for the most part, everybody got the idea of, of culture. We know that a culture is when 
uh, many people are moving in the same direction. And so when you're not moving in that direction, it's countercultural. So in our application, if you were not part of a disciple-making process, then that would, you would, it would feel odd to you and you'd want to become involved in something like that. So everybody was sort of on board with that. Where we found we needed to apply definition was to the word disciple, of all things. It means something different to a lot of different people. And so we wanted to congregate around one definition. And so here's what we came up with. And we've shared this with you before, but a disciple is a believer in Christ who follows him, learns his ways, and leads others to live biblically. Now, when you get a group of people like that, that are creating other people like that, and you start to achieve this critical mass of of people behaving in that way, everything gets better. Do you want to a praying church, make disciples. You want better husbands, wives, parents, kids, make disciples. You want a better community, make disciples. You want a better church, make disciples. In fact, do you want a church, period, make disciples. I've quoted this from this platform before, and it comes from another pastor, and he says... If you make a church, you'll rarely get disciples. But if you make disciples, you will always get a church. It's the foundation for everything that we do. And for those of you who have been around for a while, you know that we rolled that out in uh, January of 2019. We had a sermon series about that concept, about discipling and being in discipling relationships. We had a connect group curriculum that accompanied that put those things together. You're hearing the message here. You're hearing the message there. And we began to see these discipling relationships popping up. In the fall of 2019, we had a a specific gathering for our men, and we we talked more about the importance of these kinds of relationships. We we had a, a speaker that came in and demonstrated through testimony how important it had been in his life. And we had opportunities for guys to sign up. And so we saw a bunch of groups formed at that time and some individual relationships as well. Uh, The women, Hillcrest women, fine-tuned their already existing mentoring program to be more discipleship-oriented. And those groups were forming. The culture was happening. You guys were catching the vision. In January 2020, we we rolled out the other side of that coin. At some point, you know, we're going to run out of each other to disciple. And so we got to go get some new people. Where are they going to come from? Well, that's the other side of the coin. That's evangelism. Those are gospel conversations. And you remember us talking about gospel conversations last year. We had a display. uh, We still have the gospel conversations display out in our lobby. And we saw some momentum. Uh, We saw culture. And then a global pandemic. Everything changed. So many churches and businesses, individuals, many of you had to figure out how to live life differently. I mean, think back with me a year ago, just a year ago, and and think about the concepts of of Jackson's Steakhouse curb service, right? Half the experience is going there to eat, right? Now now you're going to go and pick it up. You're going to call them, you can say, hey, I want one of those big steaks, size of a catcher's mitt, but I'm not going to be able to eat it there, so will you put it like in a 
styrofoam clamshell for me? What? This is not Jackson's as we know it, right? In fact, I'll come get it, but I'm not going to come in to get it. I'm just going to get there on the corner. I'll, I'll give it a little honk, and you, you come out, you bring it to me, okay? This is not the Jacksons we know. I mean, a year ago, you'd have made that phone call. You might as well have been asking if they had Prince Albert in a can. I mean, that's a prank phone call a year ago, right? Everything changed. Everybody's looking for a different way to do something. And we were too. A lot of creativity in the way that we rolled out ministry during much of 2020. But we realized that even in our ministry statement, something was askew. We had this ministry statement and then we had this other thing. We had Worship Connect Serve, but then we had this Creating a Culture thing. So we started to question everything about our ministry statement. Started to beat that up a little bit. Was it even true that worshiping God, connecting with others, and serving the world resulted in someone becoming like Christ? Well, it's certainly possible, and we've seen many stories of life change uh, here at Hillcrest in the last 10 years, but something was missing. Our, our statement was incomplete. We needed to incorporate this concept of discipleship into the statement. And so we landed on Hillcrest exists to help people in becoming like Christ who worship God, connect with others, serve the world, and invest in someone. What we've spent the last two years talking about and implementing is all wrapped up in this final attribute from our statement. And that's the person who is becoming like Christ, who invests in someone. So why, why do we invest? Why would we take the time to invest in someone? And that leads us to our primary text for today. It comes from Matthew chapter 28. It's in your sermon notes. It'll be on the screen. But we will be in Matthew 28 a little bit later today as well, so you might want to go there. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Starting in verse 19, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What we see here is a command. Jesus is giving us a command. It's the plan A to which there is no plan B. And I think we would all agree that this is something that we should be about. But part of the issue is that we are sort of looking at each other, seeing who's, who's, who's going to do this thing. But I want you to see that this is, this is not a, a mandate of the institution of the church. It's a mandate to the people. Of the church. It's a mandate to me. It's a command to me. It's a command to you. It's a personal responsibility. So each one of us should be doing this. And notice that if we're to be disciples who are to, as Jesus says, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, well, we need to observe it also. We need to be first in line to observe this command so that we might share it with others. But not only are we commanded, take a look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. That's also in your worship guide. Paul is speaking, you're writing here in the fifth chapter of 2 Corinthians, beginning in verse 17. And this is also a very familiar passage to you, one that you would uh, certainly embrace, at least the beginning of it. 
He starts off and he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Praise the Lord, right? We, we will adopt that one. I'm a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling himself to the world, or the world to himself, sorry, not counting their trespasses against them. All good news. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Oh. Therefore, because of all those cool things, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. So what I want you to notice about this passage of Scripture is that there is no distinction between the new creation and the ambassador. As a follower of Christ, you are both. You are a new creation, but now you're entrusted with this message of reconciliation. And you're an ambassador. The ambassador takes the message of the king. It is our identity. It's who we are. So if you're willing to embrace the new creation idea, you need to equally embrace the ambassador idea. It's who we are. So we invest because it's commanded, but we invest also because it's our identity. That's why. Who do we invest in? Who exactly are we supposed to invest in? Well, last year in January, we had a campaign uh, rolled out called Who's Your One? You remember that? We had a display in our lobby, which was very encouraging. We uh, asked people to consider who's one person that they would talk to God about and talk to about God. Who is that one person? Maybe a neighbor, maybe a family member, maybe somebody you work with. And I think you'll remember how cool that was out in the, the lobby display. Hundreds, hundreds of sticky notes where people wrote a name, put it on the wall. And as cool as that was on Sundays, how encouraging that was to us on staff as we might walk through the lobby during the week and think, man, that, it's getting done out there. It is getting done. We, we can't go out and, and possibly encounter all of those people that you all are encountering. And so that's certainly a who that you can invest in, the one that you identified. Now, hopefully, that one name that you wrote and put on that sticky Hopefully you got a new one, a new name, because you've shared the gospel with that person, you've invested in them, and now you got a new name. Um, so continue with that, and that's part of the prospect pool. You're one. Another prospect or a set of prospects may come from your connect group. So when you think about the way we gather for church, we've got a large uh, gathering here in this room. And then we've got a smaller group of people who gather together. We call them connect groups. We think of it in general as our small group ministry. But then there's this, this extra, uh, smaller group. Maybe we call it a tiny group. Two or three people. Uh, three or four people all together. You and, you and three kind of deal. If we compare that to Jesus' ministry, we see that Jesus ministered to the crowds, large crowds. But then he had these 12 that he invested in more heavily. That might be Jesus Connect Group. But then, then he had this more intimate relationship with, with three guys, Peter, James, and John. That was, like, that was like Jesus' tiny group. 
right? So in your connect group, you're, you're knowing these people because there's relationships formed in connect group. It's tough to make relationships in this room. You, you tend to sit in the same places and you get to know the people around you, but it's different. In connect group, you have more opportunity to, to uh, interact, to uh, hear each other's uh, comments regarding the scriptures and so forth. And so from those relationships, how about going one step deeper and getting together with two or three people to talk about the scriptures? And we're going to talk about how to do that in a minute. Now, as you think about that and you pray about, okay, you know, who can I do that with in my connect group? Um, you know, which you probably don't want to do next Sunday is say, hey, hey, good news. I'm going to disciple you. It could be a little off-putting, right? Now, if somebody comes to you and says, hey, would you disciple me? That, that, that feels pretty good. Yeah, that works. But you go the other way, it's a little, a little weird. So, you know, but if you said to somebody, hey, listen, I'm going to get a, a couple guys together from our group, and we're just going to, each week we're going to look at the scriptures and talk about, you know, what we're seeing there. How is it affecting our lives? How are we going to live differently because of that? Pray with each other. Would you like to be a part of that? You know, that, that seems like, yeah, I think I could be a part of that. That sounds pretty cool. See, the problem with me saying that out loud with all you guys here and then at 9.30 as well is that if somebody comes up to you next week and says, hey, I'm thinking about getting a little group together, and we're just going to, in their head, they're saying, I'm going to disciple you. And you know that, but anyway, it feels a little better. feels a little better. So tiny groups, that's another way, another way, uh, another who that we can invest in. And then a third prospect pool comes from your own families. If you have kids in your family, kids still living at home, th this is your primary discipling responsibility. It's, it's not the church's responsibility for you to dump your kids here, and, and it's, it's a privilege for us to be able to teach your kids. But really what we want, really what we want is for you guys, the parents, to be the primary disciplers of your kids. And so uh, we have some resources we're going to talk about later. I'm going to show you a video later on some things you can get a hold of uh, called D6. In fact, there's a, uh, it's a curriculum in our preschool, kid men, and student ministries um, where they're all studying the same material. So if you have a kid in each of those age groups, and you can have discussions at home all around the same topic as opposed to having three different lessons then we even have an adult connect group that's meeting now that has uh, their age with, uh, you know, small kids. And, and so they're studying it as adults through the same curriculum. So now they're all in on the same deal, which lends itself to great discipleship opportunities throughout the week. And so you'll see some more on that kind of material in a little bit. So those are some of the who's. And everybody has a chance to interact with one of those who's. Y'all have neighbors Many of you have workplaces, families, uh, connect groups. And so we encounter people all the time. Those are the who's. That's who we invest in. And then let's talk about how we invest. So a couple of years ago when we were rolling out this culture of disciples making disciples, we wanted to equip you with some ways that you could disciple. And so I gave that message. And uh, some of the guys were giving me the raz before uh, the early service and said, you know, when you talked about discipleship before, I think, I think you might have had 42 points in your message. And it was something like that. But the idea was I wanted you to see how much material is out there 
that there's so many ways that you can enter into a discipling relationship. That there, the, the point is that there really was no excuse not to. Because most people would think, well, I can't do that. I don't, I don't know what to do. When I'm, well, there's things out there. Today, I'm just going to talk to you about three ways. Three ways that you can go about uh, investing in someone. And it really has to do with what your relationship looks like with that person. So the first relationship might be what we would call a pre-evangelism conversation. And it's all about sharing your testimony, sharing your story with somebody. Now, you've all been exposed to people who have given their testimony. If you're a follower of Christ, you have a testimony. But not all followers of Christ are great at giving their testimony. So it's something you want to think about. You want to, you want to have that locked and loaded, ready to go. Uh, and it doesn't need to be 45 minutes long. You know, you don't want to start off with, you know, where you were born and how you were raised and eventually get around to this guy named Jesus and, you know, 45 minutes later just sort of stall out saying, it's about all I can think of. That's not a great testimony. So I'm going to show you a way today where you can give your testimony in 15 seconds. This happened, I learned this a couple years ago in Israel. Uh, We were there... um, we had gathered up our European missionaries, and we had another group that came uh, from Hillcrest. It was a huge group that, that year. Uh, and they were doing uh, vacation Bible school with one of the, the schools close by, and, and uh, I was helping with our missionaries and doing some training. But each morning, we'd have a, a quick devotional. And the person who was supposed to give the devotional that, uh, this particular day was sick. And so uh, there was a panic, you know, like, hey, who, who can jump in and, and give the devotional? Well, one of the guys he sent the message to was David Wiggins. And for you, those of you who know David Wiggins, he kind of shines in the last second opportunity to stand in front of people and talk. And so he jumped up and did this, what I'm going to share with you, uh, which has been incredibly helpful and a game changer. So if you'll throw that up on the a screen, this is, this is the exercise completed. So I'm just going to walk you through it. We call it a two plus two, the plus being the cross sign in the middle, or you can call it a 15-second testimony. It always starts with this phrase, there was a time in my life. And then there's two lines, this is the first two, two lines that are uh, adjectives that would describe your life before you met Christ. For me, I use the word selfish and empty. I came to Christ as an adult, maybe you did. But you might be sitting there and thinking, you know, I, I, I accepted the Lord, I was like four you know, I wasn't strung out on drugs in a gutter somewhere, so I don't really have this great testimony. Well, first of all, you do have a great testimony. And I'm going to give you one word you can use. If you were four years old when you accepted Christ, you can use selfish. And I know this because I have grandkids. <laughs> I'm certain that my boys are not teaching them and drilling them on selfishness at home. But they have figured out selfishness somehow all on their own. And so you can use that one word. You'll have to think of another one. So that's, that's the two before Christ. Then you have this, you had this opportunity to meet Christ. And then since you've become a follower of Christ, two adjectives to describe your life since meeting Christ. So mine are fulfilled and having purpose. And then you wrap the whole thing up, and this is the game changer. It's way better than, and that's all I can think of, to say, do you have a story like this? See, now you're investing in somebody because you were wanting to hear their story. But you haven't, you know, dragged out all your mess for 45 minutes. You're doing this in 15 seconds. 
and you're demonstrating to them how you can tell a quick story about what Jesus did in your life. And so throw that back up on the screen. I'm going to give you a demo of this. You can start your timers if you want. There was a time in my life when I was selfish and empty, but then somebody introduced me to Jesus. And when I understood what he did for me, I put all my trust in him and followed him. And since then, I'm fulfilled and have purpose in my life. Do you have a story like that? 12 to 15 seconds. Now, they may say, I do have a story like that. Awesome. Will you share your story with me? And now, hopefully, you've just demonstrated how to do this in 15 seconds, so you're going to get a quick story back. But if it goes 45 minutes, you're making an investment, okay? Listen to their story, because you're listening to find out, do they actually have a relationship with Jesus? So, that's a pre-evangelism conversation. That's one way to invest, is to share your story and what Jesus did for you. The second opportunity you might have goes a little bit deeper, and that might be, maybe they said, no, I don't have a story like that. And now you have an opportunity to share the gospel. Now, we spent time last year in our evangelism uh, series and, and talking about how to share the gospel. We used a method uh, that we trained uh, you all on called Three Circles. That's just one way. There are many ways to share the gospel. And if you have a different one that you're comfortable with, fantastic. Use that. The, the most important part is that you use it. Now, presenting a gospel conversation, and again, I'll refer to the display in the lobby. Uh, we put a display up there that allows you to record that you've had a gospel conversation. And the way you do that is if you share the gospel with somebody, you can, during the week, you can come in on Sunday and get one of the white ping pong balls and drop it in the display. And you'll see that our display is filling up with gospel conversations. This is, this is a culture. And so it's been wonderful and super encouraging. When you see the blue ping pong ball, and, and we're getting a few added today, that's when somebody is baptized, and so they can drop a blue ping pong ball into the display. But those are for gospel conversations, and we kind of have to define the gospel conversation part as well. You know, if somebody sneezes and you say, God bless you, it's very nice, but it's not a gospel conversation. So no ping pong ball. We had to define it, and it's out there on the wall, and I'm going to read to you what it says. It says, a gospel conversation includes a full presentation of Jesus' death on the cross, his burial and resurrection, and then an invitation to turn from sin and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. That seems like a lot. But when, if you'll remember the three circles, and we're going to walk through it here in a second, uh, as you're drawing out the story of God, it's, it just comes naturally. It's, it's the next part of the conversation. So normally we would draw this out on a piece of paper, a napkin or a whiteboard. I'm going to trust the guys in the back, uh, and they, they did great in the first service, uh, just to, to put the next part up. So just pretend I'm drawing this out for you, but I'm just going to talk through it as it's going up on the board. So this is a gospel presentation. Uh, God has a design. We see evidence of design. We see beauty around us. We see uh, how God has, has formed us, how he's put a purpose in our lives. Uh, think of the place we live, the beauty of the beaches and so forth. So there's evidence of design all around us. God created us to walk with him, to worship him, to enjoy him forever. But when we ignore him and go our own way, it kind of messes up God's design. And the Bible calls that sin. The Bible says that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And when we sin, it leads to a place of brokenness. And you've seen evidence of brokenness as well all around us. You may have seen it and experienced it in your own life. 
And when we find ourselves in that bubble of brokenness, you see those squiggly lines coming out from that circle. That's our own attempt in our own strength to escape from that circle. You might do that by pressing into your career or pursuing a relationship or chasing money or maybe even to try and escape through drugs, drugs or alcohol. The problem is that every one of your attempts to leave that place of brokenness will snap you right back into that circle of brokenness. Now, that's not all bad because what it does for us is it shows us that we need something greater. We need someone greater. We need a rescuer. We need good news. And the good news is that God has provided that. We call it the gospel, which literally means good news. The good news is that Jesus, God in human flesh, came and lived among us perfectly according to God's design. He did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He took all of our sin and shame to the cross and paid the penalty for our sin by dying on that cross. The Bible says that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And that's good news to hear. But just hearing that good news isn't enough. We need to respond to it. We need to admit that we can't, in our own power, break out of this brokenness, but that we need to accept what God has provided in the good news. The way we do that is that we turn away from the sinful ways that led us to brokenness. The Bible calls that to repent, to turn in another direction. And then we need to believe that Jesus is who he says he was. And so the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. And what does it mean to be saved? Well, it means that we can recover God's design, that we can pursue God's design for our life, for what he has for us. That's a gospel presentation. But then you need to give them an opportunity to respond to that. And so a simple way to do that when you've drawn out this diagram is to say, where do you see yourself on this diagram? Many people will say that they find themselves in that circle of brokenness. Then it's just as simple as asking, is there any reason that you would not want to repent and believe in Jesus today? That's a white ping pong ball. Does that make sense? Now, if they say, yes, I want to do that, then all they need to do is pray about what you've just talked about. If they're looking at that picture and understanding what happened about their sin, what God did for them, the prayer that they're going to make is going to be way better than any prayer you're going to feed them. So just have them to pray about those things you just talked about. And now they are free to pursue God's design for their life, which leads us to the third type of investment. So we have an investment of sharing your testimony, might be considered pre-evangelism. Uh, a way to invest by sharing the gospel would be an evangelism conversation. And then the third type of investment would be an investment in a discipling relationship. Again, when I preached before, there was so many things that I shared with you. This time, I'm going to share just one method of discipling. Our men's ministry is using this. In fact, we just had a training last Saturday, very encouraging over 40 guys showed up to see how I can lead in discipleship in one of these tiny groups. Uh, our women's ministry has been doing this for over a year. 
And we slid it to you guys at the beginning of this year in the Bible reading plan that we're going through this year. On the very first bookmark, it talked about an acronym here, H-E-A-R, as a way for you, as you're reading through the scriptures, to interact more with the scriptures. Not just to read and go through a bookmark and check the boxes, but to actually interact with the scriptures. And so here is just an acronym. Uh, as you're reading maybe a, a chapter or two, you want to take a highlight from that. Maybe out of those one or two chapters, there's a verse or two that really impacted you. And so you're going to highlight that. You're going to write that down. Then you're going to explain what's going on in these chapters that you just read. Just a brief summary, your understanding of what's going on. When you write things down, it helps you to kind of lock in uh, what's going on with the scriptures. The A stands for apply. How does this message, how does this passage apply to my life? And then the fourth one is R. How am I going to respond to this message? What are my actions going to be that show that I can be obedient to this passage of scripture? So let me give you an example. And I'm going to use Matthew 28 because that's where we started. You could turn there if you want, but I think it's very easy to follow. And you can do this later. But if I look at Matthew 28... You know, it's a chapter there in, in the gospel, the last chapter in, in Matthew's gospel. And my H is going to be uh, verses 19 and 20, which we talked about earlier. Go and make disciples. So that's my highlight. My explanation, I'm just going to walk through chapter 28 and explain what's going on. And so uh, some of the women went to Jesus' tomb and, and found out that he wasn't there. And an angel said, hey, he's not here because he told you he wasn't going to be here. And, and then... He says to go and tell the disciples. And so on their way to tell the disciples, Jesus shows up and says, hey, it's true, I'm here. Go tell the disciples. And then there's a little side story where the Jews are getting together and they're saying, okay, he's gone. Let's make up a little story about how this happened. And so they, they got that worked out. And then it goes back to Jesus with his disciples saying, uh, therefore, go and make disciples. So that's, that's a brief explanation. That's all it takes. It's a little something like that. And then the application, well, how does this apply? How does this apply to my life? Well, uh, he's talking to his disciples there, but by extension, he's talking to us that these are things we should do. So um, I see that uh, Jesus has authority in heaven and on earth, and so uh, he's my authority, and uh, he's telling me to go and make disciples. So, so that's an application uh, for my life, and um, I need to teach people to obey everything Jesus commanded. So probably I should obey everything Jesus commanded. And so those are ways that it applies to my life. Another way that it applies to my life is that um, it talks about Jesus being resurrected. I, I'm a follower of Christ. Let me let you in on a secret. This chapter, if you think about any other religion or any other holy book, this chapter ain't there. We're the only ones that got this resurrection chapter. And it makes all the difference. No resurrection chapter, no church. So... That's an application to my life. The R, how am I going to respond to this? Well, I meet with a, a group of guys, and so, um, you know, I'm going to share with them, or maybe in my daily quiet time, I'm going to write down. My response is going to be, well, I'm, I need to get in one of these, you know, relationships. I need to get in, the, in a discipling relationship because Jesus said that I need to do that. And, and I, I need to share the gospel. I need, to, I need to know how to do that. I need to be equipped to share the gospel in case God put somebody in my path where I might share the gospel. And, and God's putting people in your path all the time. We pray for opportunities. The opportunities are there. What we need to pray for is obedience when the opportunity shows up. 
And so that's an application for my life. And then the other application is, am I living like somebody who's got a resurrected Savior? I, I need somebody to hold me accountable to that. Uh, and so those are, those are, those are uh, responses. I'm going to respond as though I serve a, a living Savior. H-E-A-R. It's just that simple. Now, how do I put that in a tiny group? You just talk to each other about what you wrote down all week. That's it. That's, that's how simple it is. So you do that for five days. You meet sometime during the week. You're all reading the same thing. Hey, what hit you in Matthew 28? Well, you know that thing about the disciple? That really hit me. Well, let's talk about that. What do you, what do, you do about that? So the beautiful part about the relationship is somebody can hold you accountable to that. Hey, last week you said you, you were going to share God, the gospel. How'd that go? Who'd you share with? Tell us about it. It's not a beatdown. It's an encouragement. And so that's what the tiny group, that's what discipling is all about. Whether you're the perceived leader of that group or just a participant in the group, the blessing goes back and forth. Uh, everybody's encouraged by that kind of relationship. Does that make sense? Regardless of how you're investing in somebody, be sure that the process is reproducible. The way you share your testimony, help somebody to craft that for themselves so that they can go and do that and share with somebody else and show somebody else how to do that. The way you present the gospel, make it so that they can share the gospel. It's not ours to hold on to. And so we want to help somebody to be able to do that. And the way that you disciple, same way. And what we just talked through with the H-E-A-R, anybody can do that. It's super accessible and super reproducible. Jesus says that as he's praying in John 17, he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So it's, it comes to us to go to somebody else. Right? We want to create generations of disciples. Uh, Paul describes four generations in 2 Timothy. I think 2 Timothy's in your, your notes and will be on the screen. Paul writes to Timothy, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrusts to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul disciples Timothy who disciples faithful men who will disciple others also. Four generations. Works for women too. But in order to produce generations, we don't want to overcomplicate the process. And that's what I love about what we're sharing today. It's, it's, it's pretty straightforward, very accessible. I heard a story once about a, a professor. On the first day of class, he gathered all his students together. And he said, here's the deal. After every week when we meet, I want you to go and find a person for the semester. I want you to go to them and teach them what I taught you. And you're going to do that every week. At the end of the semester, they're going to come and take the final exam. And your grade will be based on how they do. That's pretty good. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're supposed to do. What we learn when we're together is something we're to take out and to teach to others so that they can teach to others. And Paul urges us to do a good job with this. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, he says, We proclaim him, we proclaim Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Perfect in Christ. That's going to get you an A on the final exam. 
Now, there's a flip side to that story. If you're the professor and, and you expect your students to be able to go and take this message out, this lesson out to other people, you don't want to overcomplicate that. You want to, you want to make it as simple as possible for them to turn that around. So there's no advantage in making the commands of Christ lofty or complicated. Better to keep it simple, straightforward, so that we can observe those commands and teach others to do the same. So we've talked about why we would invest, who we invest in, and how we might invest. But one of my favorite things about the change we've made to our ministry statement is the fact that the change provides a next step for everyone. Certainly, there's a form of discipleship that's happening right now when we gather as a large group. And when you go into your small group, into your connect group, there's discipleship that's happening there as well. Even when we serve side by side, there's a, there's a form of discipleship that's happening there. But that intentional aspect of identifying a person, sharing the gospel, taking a personal interest in their discipleship, you know, that was missing. That was missing from our statement. So what we've been talking about over the last two years and even in light of this pandemic, we see that this concept of intentional discipleship really is one of the core values of Hillcrest, as you all have acted it out, have lived it out. And it gives everyone an action step, a next step to take. Many of us attend worship. Many of us participate in a connect group. And many of us serve. But it's possible for me to do all three of those things and not be becoming like Christ. But it's nearly impossible to intentionally engage with somebody over the scriptures, invest in their life, and not be becoming like Christ. And since none of us has attained perfect Christ-likeness, we continue to do this. We all have a next step. Once I've properly invested in somebody so that they can invest in someone else, I go get another person. And so on and so on. There's always a next step. I love that. I want to tell you that my intentional investment in someone, it makes my worship sweeter and my connection stronger and my service more fulfilling. I have been meeting with a group of guys uh, for a little over a year we meet on Saturdays. We used to meet at the building, and now we do it on Zoom, Saturday mornings. And so uh, Nadine sees me, you know, scurry up the steps on Saturday morning, and I come, come down a little while later. And I, Nadine says this to me. She says, I, I, don't, I don't really know what's going on up there, but more of that. So she, she sees the difference. I experience the difference. I think that you'll experience the difference. You're missing out on that if you're not in one of these kinds of relationships. Um, it doesn't matter if you're the leader of the group or not. Uh, I, I learn as much or more from the guys in my group than, than they're getting from me. And so what's your next step? What's your next step going to be?